0: You're about to listen to the Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of life as a developer.
1: I'm Will, the curmudgeonly experienced developer. And
0: I'm Beach, the optimistic newbie
1: developer. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at slash Complete Developer Podcast.
0: This week, We're starting a series on getting a job as a developer. We'll look at different interview skills from soft skills to technical interviews to whiteboard and coding challenges. We'll also talk about the different levels of developer interviews from your first position as a junior developer... All the way up to senior developers looking for new opportunities or looking to move into an architect role. This week we're going to do an overview with a few tips and tricks to help you get started. But before we get started,
1: Will, what have you been fighting this week? It's not so much fighting. I, I had something weird happen to me at Music City Code, and you were there for this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody knows. Everybody that knows me knows I'm pretty introverted. Um, that is, I draw my energy from. Um, not being around people and I, I think I was pretty darn near an extrovert like for three days I mean I was so pumped up that entire time it was it was very very strange and I know that it freaked you out a little bit because I, every time I looked over at you you're sitting there looking a little bit lost like you're like what you expected to happen wasn't happening and you weren't real sure what to do about it um, but I talked to everybody
0: well yeah I'm used to you being outgoing. Yeah. You're an outgoing introvert, a little bit though. Yeah, and, and but that I'm was... the the over the top going out and talking to every single person, and you know, getting to know the people in the booths beside us, kind of person. You knew them better than I did.
1: Yeah, it was it was really strange, and I it, I was kind of watching myself um, do that. Um, I mean, that sounds like a fugue state or something, but um, <laughs> it it was it was very strange, and it it's beginning to make me think that it's mutable at at some level. I mean, I I crashed. Don't get me wrong. Like I crashed Saturday night, but I think it was because of a, what a 16 hour day, a 14 or 15 hour day. And then what a 13 hour day. Yeah. Um, you know, from the time I left the house, I got home.
0: The thing is, here's my
1: question. Do you feel the need to be around people to feel good? I don't even know anymore, man. Um, that's, that's the weird thing. Like everybody at work even was like, "There's something different." You might. It might have clicked. It might have just been Music City Code, like like the situation we were, switch or the something. situation
0: we were in. You were on your way there, though. If you think about it, yeah. you've been getting more and more outgoing with all the different stuff we've been doing because I've had to. Yeah, and it's.
1: It may have flipped that, and it may not have. It may be maybe a temporary thing, or because I was around the right group. Yeah, I think that might be part Um, of it too. But it was there's hundreds of these people, (gasps) and they're all they're moving forward in life, and they're all kind of doing the same thing I'm doing, and I now I have something to offer to the group, and and maybe that's what it is. It was just it was just really strange, and I'm I'm still kind of trying to process that. Um, So by the time this episode comes out, I'll probably know. Um, you know, whether that change is permanent or it was just like some kind of minor freak out. It was a lot of fun. It was just, it was very strange. I was not, I was not in my normal head.
0: But that's very true. It, it freaked me out a little bit because I'm usually the one that's walking around dragging introducing,
1: me into things. Yeah.
0: Dragging you up to people and introducing you and we were standing by the booth, like, between sessions and stuff, and you were just, like, going out talking to people, or I'd come out of a session, and you'd have, like, five people standing around you listening to you just, like, be Mr. Outgoing and talkative. And I'm like, wait, this is backwards. Oh, it's usually me dude. that, like, is talking and saying, oh, it and we'll send so this. much
1: worse than that, because I would sit there and, like, either the National Software School folks would, like, go to the bathroom or, like, free Freed Code Camp. Folks would go to the bathroom, and I was talking in front of their tables, too, yeah. <laughs> about what they do. <laughs> well, it was, it was I, a blast. but it's I think pretty... it kind
0: of freaked out um, John, one of the founders of Nashville Software School, because the day before, when we'd had one of the teachers there, like, us and Free Code Camp, we'd all, like, the three of us had kind of, the three groups had become good friends. Yeah. And so, we were promoting each other. Yeah. So people would come up and ask about the podcast, and then I would explain. Oh yeah, and we had one of their students on this week and talk about how awesome Nashville Software School was,
1: and just transition them right. Yeah, down transition the
0: line. them right over, and I think it freaked him out the first couple of times that either you or
1: I did that because well, you're not supposed like, to do that in booths. No. And it was it was also interesting because like I helped folks from several other company, you know, several companies uh, Thursday get their stuff set up and so did you mm-hmm. and and talk to them and so they had been sending people up and it was just it was really like i i just it kind of popped my head man i don't know well, i don't know where this it, goes yet
0: part of it too from thursday was the the paid sponsors which we were down with thursday yeah. um, cuz we showed up a day early to set up our booth they realized hey these guys aren't competition
1: yeah. they're a marketing funnel and I think some of that too was there. Were there was a lot of stuff we didn't know what we were doing. Um, one thing I have noticed is that when I get I get cornered and freak out enough, I react and it sticks. Mm-hmm. And that might have been it because you know I was like stressed out. We had an issue with a tablecloth where it wasn't big enough for the whole table, and we thought that my daughter had like cut it in half to make a Harry Potter robe. But it turned out that's not what happened. But we didn't know that for the first day. But it made for a great story, and everybody loved that story. Yeah. Um you know and then after we found out we're like yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay that's not what happened. Um, yeah but it, it was just very strange and it, and I really was out of character and I still am. Mhm. Um so I'm I'm very curious about that now. Like I want to well you know what pursue that somehow.
0: I I think we should and you know we can we will keep you guys notified of this cuz remember when I was going through the roughest part of my divorce and the depression afterwards. Yeah. I was pretty much an introvert.
1: You were, you were a hermit. Yeah. I mean, you were full on Howard Hughes. Like, well, I mean, I think you washed yourself. So you didn't like have like the BO and the long fingernails, but I mean, you and the aircraft design. So basically you really weren't Howard Hughes, but you were a hermit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't and crabby as all
0: get out. Oh man. Yeah. But you know, that, what was it? My, my doctor called it uh, adjustment disorder with depressed mood. But that changed my personality so significantly that being around people drained me. Yeah. Um, except for you and one or two other of our friends. I just didn't want to be around people because it
1: was too much. Yeah. And I wonder if maybe like some of my early, you know, early to mid life experiences maybe put me in that head and now they don't like like they don't have control of me it's it's very strange i'm 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 not sure what to make of it um so anyway how about you (laughs) well (laughs) because we we we, can talk about about what happened with me for a very long time yeah we can make an episode out of it which we
0: very well might once we kind of figure that out some more yeah um but uh dude i totally crashed saturday night you know, you, you talked about how much time we spent just kind of on the go and in front of people. I spent a lot more time in lectures and sessions than you did just because I needed to do that for work, but I got home from Music City Code and honestly I went I tried to sit down and watch T V and fell asleep. And I had set an alarm because I was worried this might happen, so I woke up just in time to watch Doctor Who. So I, I didn't miss my Doctor Who Saturday night. It's important. But I watched that, and then I watched
1: Class, and I went back to bed. I watched Guardians of the Galaxy oh, you' f- the first one. You finally saw it? Yeah.
0: Oh, it's good, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's pretty wait, good. Wait, just,
0: you're gonna love the second one. It's awesome. Okay, I went and saw it with uh, with our friend Aaron. Um, well, we got we didn't get in trouble, but we got complaints about laughing too loud. Nice. That's how good it was. But uh, I'll be honest, I'm really glad I'd already started this episode. As a few parts of it were last minute, I only did one thing on Sunday. because I slept until 11. And that one thing, um, let's just say my new celebrity crush is Gal Gadot.
1: And no one blames you.
0: <laughs> Dude, she was in the Israeli Armed Forces and rides a motorcycle.
1: Yeah. That's like perfect for you. I mean, that's the thing, you know, and, and you, sent, you sent a Facebook message out, you know, talking about how you, know, you miss Jason. Yeah, because he he would have totally made fun of me. He would have given me crap about it. And, like, I miss Jason because I would have enjoyed him giving you crap about it. Yeah. (laughs) Even though I would have agreed with you. (laughs) Just because it was you you catching crap. Yeah, that's uh, true. (laughs) You know, it's it's the general principle of the thing. Well, I just, like, after leaving
0: the movie, the first thing I thought was, Wow, she's amazing. She's my new celebrity crush. I'm like, how do you tell Jason? Yeah. And... Yeah, I was thinking, I'm like, all right, he's going to make fun of me. I got to, like, come up with stuff to refute whatever he says. And then it hit me. Oh, wait. Yeah. And so, yeah. But my sister did post a really cute video of my nephew calling me silly. So that was nice. Uh, I went back to work after Music City Code. um, Spent today fighting with SSRS and C Sharp. Ooh, that's a culture shock. (laughs) Yeah. I'm trying to get a PDF of a report. Programmatically, and then send it to an email as an attachment.
1: Yeah, I've had the life experience of going to a conference and being like all positive, and then being dumped back into SSRS land. And I, it's like going to Woodstock and then being like dropped into Cotton Mather's household. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not, you know, like like they ought to like gradient descent into that, or like there ought to be some way to. To, to get from point A to point B without the sudden switch because it, it hurts. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. And, and you know what? Wonder Woman helps with that. Honestly, I, I'm not having trouble with the email or even sending an attachment. It's been SSRS. It's just been super picky about, like, everything. Yeah. Um, I am excited, though. I'm giving a talk this week on the developer's role in Scrum to our Dev and QA team. Also... I'm putting together another talk based on a lot of the stuff that I learned at Music City Code. So uh, kind of taking a lot of the stuff that I picked up there and doing a highlights reel for the other developers at work.
1: Well, that reminds me, I got a uh, quick win out of Music City Code um, because I talked to Jimmy Bogard um, and we're using AutoMapper at work. And there were two or three things during his talk that I was like, oh, crap, I didn't know that existed. So I've got I've got like hundreds of lines of code to rewrite. To make you know dozens of lines of code out of, yeah. So I mean, it, it, just the few things I got just in that one talk were enough of a win. That's awesome. outside of everything else. Plus, I got I got to meet the dude. You know, like I've been reading yeah. his stuff for an age.
0: Well, so there there was about four talks on two. They're like both on the same, or two were on one subject and two were on on another subject, but they're the same subject. But those four talks are probably like the highlight of what I got out of music city code. It's just like, I got so much from kind of like having two talks on the same thing. Yeah. Really just it. It was like, I went to the second one. I'm like, Oh, I already know about this. Oh, I didn't, I don't remember this from the first talk. Um, I'm sure it was probably in it, but like I had been taking notes and I even opened up the notes from the other talk to have side by side. And so I'm like able to get even more depth and detail on it. So that's what I'm doing my talk about at work. But uh, with that said, I've got something a little interesting for IOTs. So let's go ahead and roll the music. This week for IOTs, I have an interesting project called... The IoT Garbage Monitoring System. This is a project that monitors the level of garbage in a can or dumpster or whatever and informs you when it reaches a certain level or on how much garbage is collected. It can be used on a small scale to help you know when to empty a can in, say, your den or your kid's playroom, a place that you might not go very often. Or it can be used on a larger scale for cities to track the amount of garbage being collected and taken to the dump. It uses an Arduino microcontroller and some C skills. No plus plus, no sharp, straight up C. Nice. Yeah. As well as an LCD display and some LEDs. And I'll have a list of the, all the hardware and software
1: needed in the show notes. Who's talking to us this week? We got an email from Michael. Um, it says, Hi, CDP. Great shout out and thanks from Poland. I'm 24 years old, aspiring developer, now more like prodigal son, who after three years break comes back to programming and your podcast is really helpful um, in both terms of information and motivation as well. So big thanks once more. And I wanted to ask if you could touch the topic of beginners feeling of preparation for their first job in dev. I have that feeling that all the time something new shows out to be mastered, and what's more, now in C Sharp, after starting from C years ago, that I cannot let anything be done automatically or by IDE, because it seems like using these practical shortcuts means that I'm not a real programmer. Sincerely, Michael. Okay, the whole thing with IDEs. Like, I get the concept of needing to understand what's going on, but, you know, the IDE is a tool, right? A carpenter is not less of a carpenter because he doesn't have to hammer nails with a rock. Um, you you know your your tool is part of the whole uh, gestalt of the stuff that you use. Um, and so my position to that is is basically drill the use of the IDE until it's as second nature as the code. Um, it's the other half of the tool, really. So that's that's where I'm coming from. Now that that said, it it is kind of nice to be able to do stuff in like raw Notepad. I've I've written C sharp code um, in Notepad. Compiled on the command line, done that. It's not very useful from a production aspect, but pretty much nothing else you encounter is going to be worse than that, and so it's it's pretty good armor for fear fear of failure. I, w- I would I would treat the IDE as as a tool that I want to use and and learn to use it effectively. Uh, there's there's no shame in that whatsoever.
0: Uh, I just want to say thanks, Mikhail, for the comment. We'll be hitting on starting a new job in the series. Send us an email with your contact information and we'll get a Complete Developer Water Bottle out to you. Guys, if you'd like your very own Complete Developer Water Bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Google+, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. We're also on Path and Tumblr. Do you guys want to meet us and hear Will speak on why your DBA hates your ORM? Come down to Huntsville, Alabama for DevSpace Conference, North Alabama's premier polyglot technology conference. In addition to Will, you'll be able to hear talks on .NET, JavaScript, C++, and lots more. DevSpace is October 13th and 14th this year. Tickets are on sale now. And to get a 10% discount, use the code CompleteDev. Or follow the link in the show notes. Again, that's DevSpace in Huntsville, Alabama on October 13th and 14th. Now, in preparation for our two-year anniversary episode, we're going to have a series of episodes on finding and starting a new job. We'll start with an overview of looking for a job and what all is involved in the process. Next week, we'll discuss building your resume. And following that, we'll have several episodes on interviewing where we'll discuss soft skills needed for interviews, surviving technical interviews, as well as whiteboard and coding challenges, bad interview questions, and we'll finish it off with a mock interview. Finally, we'll close out the finding a job series with a special episode where we'll be making an announcement about something that Will and I have been working on with a few of our friends that, uh, We think you guys will find really interesting. So getting started, we're going to talk about what you need to get yourself ready before looking for a job. The first thing you need to do is practice your interpersonal skills with some mock interviews. You know, ask friends or mentors to ask you interview questions. When we had John Sanmez on the first time, he gave the advice to go to strangers at the mall and ask them it gets gets you through two things uh, talking to strangers and the awkwardness of those interview questions
1: yeah and it, it works really well maybe if you have trouble talking to strangers it does yeah I mean I, like I did that um, because if you remember I used to be painfully shy mm-hmm. so um, that was that was part of my thing you know switching from being a inward looking introvert to being outgoing um, you know, was having that experience. Um, so I, I think it's a good idea.
0: It's been interesting because when I first met Will, he was a shy introvert, um, highly opinionated and a bit of a jerk, but still a shy introvert.
1: So, really, only one variable in the equation has changed. <laughs> that makes it all simpler. Yeah, really. <laughs> but
0: um, over time, he became more outgoing. Until very recently, which we talked about in the intro, he's extroverted.
1: Yeah, just for like the last three or four days. I'm yeah, it's not been sure weird. it's permanent, but it's, it's very strange. No. But you know, if you are introverted, especially if you're shy
0: and get nervous around people you don't know, go back and listen to that episode that we had with the John mess because he had a lot of great tips not just talking to strangers at the mall, but another was to get people you don't know very well, like acquaintances or people you've met once or twice, and ask them to ask you interview questions because you're a little bit comfortable with them, but they're still far enough outside of your comfort zone that you get that, you know, fear. And it helps you get through that process by going, you yeah, know, I've already done this once. If I can survive it then, I can survive it now.
1: And back reference, back referencing to a previous episode, I think back in, I think it was April 1st, when we interviewed David Whitley, he talked about that gradually expanding your comfort zone until your your comfort zone is, is big enough that it contains what was previously beyond the bounds of what you could do. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the idea here.
0: Next, you want to prepare for the whiteboard and coding challenges. With things like code katas, honestly, you should already be doing this. But if not, start doing code katas every day. You want to do the same kata over and over until you've not only mastered it, but as many variations of it as you can find.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that, and and this fits pretty well with um, the whole idea of you know expanding your comfort zone because like it's really awkward. Um, to get in there and have to explain what you're doing in code um, to some complete total stranger. And if you can get used to at least handling the difficulty that you're dealing with, you know, on a repeating basis, that makes it a lot easier to also deal with the, the discomfort of dealing with a stranger at the same time, especially if you're practicing these two things in tandem. I've had to do this quite a bit in the past Um, you know, clearly I'm, I'm very introverted. I'm shy or I I was shy in the past, I guess is, is the more accurate, accurate way to say that now. Um, I had to work on this a lot and it was, it was both of those things.
0: Yeah. And that explains kind of why you had me doing a lot of problems on the whiteboard here, because when I went into my interviews, it was easy doing a whiteboard problem because I've been doing them for you for months before that.
1: Yeah. Well. Plus, uh, the guy interviewing you wasn't a jerk. Uh, that's usually true. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that was that was legitimately my intent. Right? Was to um, harden you to more difficult people, so that when you ran into people that weren't, mm-hmm. it was easy. No. That's where I wanted you to be,
0: guys. Even if you don't have a mentor, you need to do like I did and practice solving problems without the computer. Use a whiteboard. If you don't have a whiteboard or a chalkboard to write on, get a piece of paper. Get a piece of printer paper out and solve a problem on that.
1: You can you can write it in the dirt for that matter.
0: Well yeah, but I'm being realistic. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly people are more likely to have printer paper than dirt.
1: There is that. <laughs> dirt's expensive in Nashville.
0: Brace yourself. Rejection is coming. Like in sales, finding a job, it's a numbers game. It only takes one company that you like to say yes, even if a hundred say no.
1: Yeah, and I would, I would say to be ready for the majority of places you apply in the interview to go with other candidates, because especially early on, that that is what's going to happen. And I would further add that failure is not, like, like, don't look at this as failure. Look at it as, I got feedback that helps me go forward, that helps mm-hmm. me adjust my message, because that's really what's going on. This is a sales process, not an um, athletic event. If that makes sense, because an athletic event, you, you fail to win the race, you know, like you get, you get third place or you get fourth place. You don't get a trophy, right? You know, that's, that could be looked at as a failure. Whereas if you are looking at it as a sales thing, you go, okay, I didn't close the deal. How do I shape my message based on what I got from that to Mm -hmm. close the next one? And you know, that's where the whole numbers game thing comes in. It's, it's understanding the abundance of opportunities that are out there. And how do I adjust my strategy appropriately with that knowledge in mind?
0: Well, that's what you were doing when you got us on .NET Rocks. Yeah, you were trying to you were trying to fail so that you could learn how to do it better,
1: right? And didn't expect it to actually succeed. And as an aside, um, if you are planning to fail to learn something. Um, Don't get caught with your pants down if you do happen to be (laughs) successful because that's awkward. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Oh, man. Finally,
0: in your preparation, write down questions to ask the places that you're going to interview. Use this to look for red flags that show you you don't want to work for this company.
1: Yeah. And a lot of these are flags that it's a bad place to work or it's just not a a, a good fit for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of them Uh, Two are like red flags that you see that indicate that, you know, hey, maybe I'm botching this interview or maybe I'm not quite getting the point across the way I need to get it across.
0: Or it could be that you walked in and just got such a visceral, I don't want to work here. You're botching it and not realizing it's not a conscious, I don't want to
1: work here, so I'm just going to throw this interview. It's a a subconscious. Defense mechanism. Yeah. I will say that I've had that happen to me a few times. And what's most disturbing about it is when, for some reason, my reaction to that sort of thing is I get cocky and the kind of places I don't want to work start pursuing me more vehemently when I am cocky like that. And so it's just completely not helpful at all. So that's, um,
0: that reminds me of when I'm not interested in a woman I'm pursuing and like I get to know, and like I'm just I'm not really that interested, but she's interested. So I try to make her not interested in me, and it has the exact opposite effect. Yeah,
1: and I had that experience um, uh, once or twice in college. And yeah, I, I don't know what to do about that. You know, like you have that that natural reaction of I want to make you know in particular an employer. Um, I just I don't want to be on their candidate list, and for whatever reason, that frees you in such a way that it actually makes you more appealing. I don't know if it, it, it like gets rid of the scarcity thing. It's a very strange phenomenon.
0: Well, look at the place that I'm working at now. When I interviewed there, I went in with the attitude of, I'm not going to get this job because there's too much bad stuff going on today.
1: Yeah. That I'm not in a mindset to... And if you remember when you called me about that, yeah. um, I was like, yeah, you, you might get that. And then two days later, I had it. Yeah. Um, it's you need to decouple your feelings about an interview from what actually happens in interview. In mm-hmm. other words, go, okay, what can I do better next time? You know, that, that sort of uh, introspection and retrospective is fine, but what you don't want to do is start going, well, I screwed up or, you know, I really have to have this. Like you have to be outcome independent
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that somehow frees you up. It's, it's, it's weird. I don't know. I don't have a play, way to it's put like, that. You got to kind of be your own movie critic.
0: Yeah, you got to look at it like this is this is a movie I'm watching, and step back from it and go, all right. You know, they should have done this better. They should have done that better.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and that's what you have to do with it. It's it's criticism without emotion, or yeah. it's uh, not not even criticism. It's. There, there's a phrase for constructive criticism that doesn't involve the word criticism, and I can't think what it is. Critique? It's like feedback. Yeah. Positive feedback? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of a negative feedback loop almost because it controls the situation. Well, positive feedback can control the situation too, but yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking from an engineering, like electrical engineering perspective. Sorry. I'm right. thinking
0: from a psychological yeah. perspective, uh, which that shows our, our mentalities. Yeah. But moving to the next point, um, where to look for a job? And the most obvious place is job boards. Yeah. Now, you'll also find the most competition here as
1: it's the most obvious place. So, that's where everybody's looking. Yeah. It's You remember in college when you were, um, there was always, everybody had this one bar that everybody went to. It's like a job board is like going there at closing time. Everybody's there and everybody's semi-desperate on both sides. That's not really an ideal opportunity. It's you know you can get a job through one. Like don't don't get me wrong, but it's probably not the way you want to be marketing yourself if you want to market yourself as a high value service. Mm-hmm. Because you know like the the stable people that have got their stuff together aren't at that bar at closing time.
0: Yeah, and this generally isn't a company's first choice for seeking new employees. It can mean they're desperate or that they have a lot of turnover. Yeah. Um it could also mean that you'll only be a cog in a larger
1: organization yeah because there's companies that just look for people like mm-hmm. their metric for what is a successful development department is butts and seats that's it and yeah. if you you, know, you have a butt and you can put it in a seat
0: now this doesn't mean you can't find a good job on a job board yeah they do exist
1: yeah but you've got to pick through so much oh, yeah. crap it's don't do that
0: <laughs> it's it's true you do, but uh, I don't want to completely bash job boards. Because yeah, I don't either. You can find a decent job on a job board. Another way is to apply directly to the company, or look at their website for openings. Now, if you know someone that works for the company, they can put you in touch with the hiring manager and also help you along with the process. However, you do want to try to avoid applying directly on a company's website. Use the website to get information about job openings and
1: to get information about the hiring manager that you need to talk to. Right. I'll second the whole thing about avoiding applying through their website. There's a lot of HR software out there where you can apply and you've got to copy your resume in, in a particular format. It's never Word. It's never anything sane, although I don't consider Word to be in the domain of things that are sane, but it's between sane and whatever this is, but you'll spend a whole lot of time and it will go into the HR department. You don't want that. Um, instead, what you want to do is find the people you have to contact and contact them th- through other means. So use the the website as an entry point in that, not as the culmination of that search. Does that kind of make a little bit more sense? Yeah, that that really does. And the reason I I tell you to avoid this is because of what happens to your resume or your job application or, you know, however they shape it. Um, When it goes in the HR system, what they do is they do a programmatic search for keywords. Um, So, like, they might look for the word Java if they're looking for a Java developer and they'll find JavaScript. Um, Most of these systems are not particularly smart and... It's very easy to either get cut out of a list or to get put on a list that you shouldn't be on. Uh, You really want to get to the point where you are interacting with a human being early instead of trying to make a mechanical system allow you to get to a human being. Use resources like LinkedIn to see if you know people in common with people at the company. If you don't have anybody there, see if you've got some connections in common. Um, you can also do this kind of with Facebook a little bit, but the problem with Facebook is how people tend to use it, and you don't really want to contact people through that. Um, so you'll you'll have to get a, a secondary source. But you want to specifically target people that are either um, in management, um, in HR, or that are in the department that you are trying to get into.
0: And finally, the way most people narrow the field is to go through a recruiter. That kind of leads us into the next point, which is recruiters, the good, the bad, the ugly. The good thing about working with a recruiter is they do a lot of the legwork for you. Yeah. They already have a reputation and have established a relationship with the company.
1: The the big thing is they can can guide you through that hiring process because they do know how the company works. They've got a... They've got a lot of rapport that you don't have. Um, the other thing they have is they're not, they're not in the hiring process themselves. Like you or I, for instance, we look for a job, you know, like at the most I've done it like every six months. On average, it's like a year, two years. Like you don't, you don't do that continually. Mm-hmm. Whereas a recruiter is walking through this process constantly with different people and they're trying to collect, you know, they're trying to get their cut. And and as a result, they're a little bit more experienced at dealing with it than you. So you can, that's that's the really good thing that they bring.
0: The other thing is, even if one company doesn't work out, once the recruiter gets to know you, they'll be able to better filter companies for you. Like the job I have now was actually the second place that I interviewed through the same recruiter. Like they sent me to one place, didn't work out. And they said, oh, hey, we've got this other place that's even a better fit for you. And I interviewed there. Honestly, (laughs) didn't think I'd get it because of all the other stuff going on. And I'm like, I'm probably not on my best game. But I went in and interviewed anyways. And the recruiter was right. The fit was way better at this other place.
1: Yeah.
0: I ended up getting the job, worked as a contractor for the six months, and then... Now I'm a full-time employee and I love my job.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I know developers really like to malign recruiters, but the kind of results that you got, that's something that can really happen a lot more. And I guess... You really need to build a relationship yeah. with the recruiter. You, you can't just wing it. I mean, that... Like, you really can't wing any relationship in your life.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's very um, true.
1: You know... You should be making friends with, uh, you know, like at Vanderbilt, like when we were over there at Music City Code, you know, we made friends with the lunch ladies. That's true. And, and the guys that were serving bacon, which got me two extra slices one morning, which was quite nice. That's, that's, you know, but like you don't want somebody that's placing you in a job to be somebody that you're not familiar with. Well, and I'll tell you what was nice is... Two extra you, slices of bacon? Well, that it is nice. was yes. nice.
0: But <laughs> yeah, that was nice. I, I can't I can't argue that. But
1: they buried they? it too, so it didn't like it wasn't yeah. all visible and stuff. It was great.
0: What was really nice was um that lunch lady that that we, you know, walked through her, her station two or three times while we were there. But I ran into her after her shift was over with. Yeah. And she said hi to me. We had a nice conversation. It wasn't a very long conversation, but it was still a nice conversation because we were friendly to her.
1: Yeah, and it's amazing just how far that goes and how building rapport with people will go. It's it's really like if you if you step back and look at it, it's very screwy how a lot of developers work with recruiters because they're like they're 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 a utility item. It's like it's a screwdriver. Mhm. Versus, hey, this is another human being that I I can work with and we both come out ahead.
0: The thing is, you know, you can get a lot out of working with recruiters, but Working with recruiters may not always be the best plan. It can be bad. You know, some of them are not the most organized or they do sketchy things. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah.
0: Like rewriting
1: your resume or adding things to it or saying that you have experience that you don't. Or hearing that you are willing to work 40 hours a week and then shipping you to a company that wants you to work 80. Um, Yeah. I mean... Everybody's had those experiences. And I mean that's that's why you've got to um, you've gotta be very careful and, and avoid the people that are deceptive or worse than that. And you've 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 got to take a conscious interest in picking who is actually going to represent you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, in other words, you have to go adulting. Pretty much. You you can't just wing this and, 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 and treat the recruiter as like this is mommy taking care of me. No, this is a salesperson you're hiring. Mm
0: -hmm. You're hiring them to sell your skills. Yeah. And, you know, also we said that they have reputations. Sometimes those reputations can be ugly reputations. Just like a good recruiter will get to know you, do the same to see if you're willing to work with that recruiter. Not all recruiters are equal and some may even be deceptive or worse. And we're not going to go too in-depth on the topic of recruiters because Will and I have an audiobook coming out later this year on the topic. Um, we're still working on the title, but most likely it's going to be the Complete Developer's Guide to Working with Recruiters. So be on the lookout for that later on this year. The big thing that we do want to talk about, however, is the interview process. Companies they're going to have different ways of going through the interview process. Now here, we're going to talk about a few of the common things that you'll see in the process and then go into more detail in subsequent episodes in this series. You may not see all of these at one company, and you may see some that we don't list when you're going through the interview process. Uh, It can be helpful to have a recruiter or someone from the company Help you through the process. Someone that kind of knows what's going on and what to expect next, but you may not always have that. So, we're going to kind of go over what you'll see at kind of your typical company or the most likely things you are to see. The first thing you're going to get after you've submitted your resume and filled out whatever goofy online stuff they have for you to do is uh, an initial contact from the company. That's going to be basically to set up a time for the next step in the interviewing process.
1: Or to reject you, but hopefully set up the interview. Um, Uh, It's
0: going to be different for a rejection. A rejection is probably just going to be an email. This is going to be a phone call or something to set up that time. We're not going to go through a rejection because if you get rejected here, what's the point? Yeah, just keep going. Find another one. Find another one. Exactly. If you're going through a recruiter... You know They're going to handle this part, and then they'll contact you with the information from the company saying, hey, they're interested, setting up a time for you to meet. If doing this on your own, though, you want to ask the person that contacts you about what the hiring process is, what to expect next, what all you're going to have to go through in this process.
1: Yeah, and you kind of want to know this up front because there's companies out there that have interesting... Hiring processes, um, at best, they've got really convoluted ways of doing things. Or they, um, I've I've seen companies that will hire you for like a two week contract, no questions asked, and you do the work, and then that sort of functions as an interview and a proof that you can fit. I've seen companies that will you know do a proper normal interview. Um, it's it varies quite widely. Um, across the spectrum. So, um, it's it's really important to ask, you know, at this point before you find out the hard way and then find out that you're not prepared or that the timeline is not something that you can work with. Um, the timeline is really the killer here. So, after this, you usually get a phone interview. Um, it's typically with a hiring manager. Um, or I, someone from HR. Yeah. It's sort of something to
0: kind of, it's a secondary vetting process.
1: Yeah. And let me tell you, if you get if you get one with somebody from HR, just as a slight aside, you want to use a lot of technical words, a- and you, you kind of want to just sort of oversaturate them so that they throw it over the wall, because you, you don't want to go through- Baffle them with BS? Absolutely. I You know, I, I hate to be that way, but they should not be interviewing developers coming in. They're, you know, they're not qualified.
0: The thing about it is, usually it's only the junior or lower end that's getting someone from HR. Yeah. A lot of times, the higher up you go, just from talking to people, I've noticed this tends to be skipped a lot, especially if you're using a recruiter because this is usually handled before the recruiter ever sends your resume to them as part of the recruiting process. That's why companies use recruiters. It may also be a senior developer or something I've seen is a contracting service where they have a senior or architect level developer. They just pay them. And this is something that they do on the side. You may even consider doing this, where companies pay them to do phone interviews. Yeah. I went through, I can't tell you how many of these, and most of them ended up with, you know what Stack Overflow is? Yeah. I'm <laughs> like, yeah, doesn't everybody, like, where else do you? Learn how to do stuff.
1: Well, I mean, you know, or if you really talk about it, like what you do, is you mention um, experts exchange or Lycos. Yeah, like I looked it up on Lycos back in the day. If you if you say that, you get put into a completely different bucket. Um, now you're talking about the uh, like the HR style interviews. Well, a little bit. Um, I'll add, you, you, you almost, a lot of times you don't get a real good feel for who you're talking to. Well, yeah, this is a phone interview. You're not yeah. talking to them in person, and
0: it's, it usually lasts about 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah. They can be technical in nature or they can include get to know you questions. What's really interesting is when you have someone who is not a technical person, like that's an HR person who has a set list of interview questions that they have to ask. And it's, it is, you know, this is a vetting process.
1: Especially when they mis- mispronounce things. Yeah. Um, I've only had, I think, I've only had like one, maybe two of these style interviews, probably in the last five, six years. Um, you know, once I got to the point of senior developer, it, it, it doesn't happen as much, but man, it throws you off when it
0: does. Yeah. Now, I had quite a few of these going in looking for that first developer job. I think they don't want to waste time of uh, yeah. their senior developers and their managers. So, you know, it's easier to pay someone for 30 minutes of their time to call you and talk to you and go through this. Uh, I've had one or two where we did some pair programming where they were watching me program and talk through things. And I- that was that that was a little bit different from a phone interview, but it started off as a phone interview that that led to this was like the next step of the phone interview.
1: Yeah. I've never had the pair programming thing. I think that would be really cool. Um, the closest I've gotten was when a recruiter that you and I both know sent me one with a client of theirs that was having trouble. Um, you know, people couldn't pass their recruiting test mm-hmm. or their, you know, the te- like the little fizz buzz test that they gave developers. And, you know, I connected and I did it in one line of code in like 15 seconds. And yeah, I think
0: you you sent this to me, and I was like, I could do that. That was...
1: Yeah, it took you a couple of minutes, tops. Yeah. Um, but I haven't ever seen that before. Um, no. So, I, I guess that's a thing. It's just, uh, in the circles I'm in, it's not.
0: We, we've kind of started into this, but, you know, this leads very well into the next point, which is, some companies will have you do a coding challenge, or they'll test your skills in some way. This is... More the case for junior developers than senior ones.
1: Yeah, and they they also tend to hit mid-levels pretty hard with this um, because a lot of people that are mid-levels really shouldn't be. They're Mm. expert beginners. It's a a subjective valuation of a developer. People have very widely different views of what constitutes a bottom-level, mid-level developer um, across different organizations. And so they... It seems like there's almost a there's a higher bar there for a minute because they can't figure out where you fit, and and I remember getting really really nailed on this, and I've seen that um, across a number of people that I've you and I've both worked with. Well, I know before I took the job I have now,
0: I interviewed at a place and they had me do a coding challenge, and I came across as a mid level developer. And then I went in and interviewed. I went through two rounds of in-person interview, which we'll talk about in just a moment. And they got to know kind of my background and the actual experience I had, as opposed to the knowledge from this coding challenge. And they came back with a much lower offer than they had initially said, saying, you know, hey, we want to bring you on because of what you know and can do, but your experience level says you're not quite where we want you to be, so we're going to offer you less, which was not only less than what I was making, but like significantly less than they had initially said. And I just said thank you, but you know I have to at least make on par to even consider leaving, and I didn't want to leave. Yeah, I, I did
1: the interview because they were offering a lot more. I remember a few like that when I was making the tr- uh, transition from like junior to mid-level, it's, it, it's a time when you don't really fit anywhere and people are trying to figure out which bucket you fit in. And it, like it's, it's, almost, it, it's, it's like a sequence of cash misses. It's just, mm-hmm. it's inefficient and it's painful and there's nothing you can do about it. Now, say so sometimes
0: this skill challenge will be done through the recruiter before they even make contact with the employer. I've had that a couple of times where I start talking to the recruiter and they say, "Okay, well, before we contact the employer, we need to. They want us to ha- to have you do this test to show that you're you have the skill to even go through the process. And that's part of using a recruiter. Yeah, uh, I just want to emphasize: don't stress this part. I think a lot of people do, and it's more about seeing where you are. And they rarely expect you to know everything on the test. Like I said, I know I didn't know everything on the test that I was taking, but I tested as a mid-level going into my first job.
1: Yeah. You
0: know, it was only when they f- when they talked to me and found out, oh, you only have this amount of experience that...
1: But your mentor's a jerk.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's like, not forget that part. <laughs> they're like, you know how to do all this stuff,
1: so we want you. But we can't pay you at that rate. Yeah. Which was fine. I mean, you needed to get your foot in the door more than you needed to pay. Well, the,
0: the other place Within was, reason. <laughs> yes. But the other place I was applying was offering to pay me closer to what I was asking for. And so I ended up going where I am now. And I'm very happy. I'm glad I made that call. Yeah. Next is the in-person interview. And this is the bane of most introverted developers who are seeking jobs. You know, you're going to need to be friendly and outgoing at least for an hour or so in the interview.
1: Yeah. And you never know what kind of people are going to come in either. I mean, that that's probably the worst thing. I've had a few of those that were real duds because you go into the interview room and all of the people are more awkward than you Mm -hmm. and you're awkward that That is not a happy place, because you know not only can you not like you're not comfortable being extroverted and outgoing, which I think a lot of our listeners probably are not necessarily extroverted, but they're probably a little bit less awkward than the average developer, but you're in a situation where everybody's more awkward than you and you don't know where the line is.
0: Well, I will say I was pretty lucky in uh, the interview I had, at least the job I have now because I went in and uh, the guy interviewing me wanted to start a podcast and he's like, oh, you're the podcast guy. So, we sat and talked about podcasting and then geeked out about computers for the whole time. It did not feel like an interview at all. It felt like I ran into him at a bar and we were just having a conversation. Yeah. This is like the ideal. For those of you on the other side doing the interviews, that's what you want your people to feel like.
1: Yeah. And like My job right now, um, I had the technical interview and then I got pulled into the CEO's office and there was a little bit of tech. And then he found out that I was initially a biology major and that I was interested in biologically inspired computing algorithms. And holy crap, we went straight into cell biology. And it was fine. I mean, I I survived it clearly because I'm working there and have been for almost two years, but... It's almost better if you can get it onto those other topics because that's what builds rapport. Mm -hmm. Like You have to show competence, but then you need to get off of competence and, and go do the other thing.
0: Also, remember that you're interviewing the employer too, so don't forget to ask questions and get a feel for how the team works, how everyone gets along, and if this is a place that you want to work. Don't get so desperate for a job that you forget to find the right job.
1: Yeah, it's it's weird how how much interviewing is, you know, like the whole job search is very much like the dating thing. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's a lot of real parallels. Like everybody knows that guy that as soon as he found a girl that liked him, like that was it and how miserable he is now. Because you and I both know at least eight or ten of those people, and it's it's like that with jobs. I mean, obviously you can switch jobs a little bit easier, but you know you don't want to do that. You want to filter. You want to be the um, you want to be the commodity that is scarce versus the commodity that is just available like dirt. Well,
0: finally, we want to talk about something that a lot of people have issue with, and that is whiteboard problems. These can either put a shine on your skills, or hide them in the muck of self-doubt and fear.
1: Yeah, and and as an aside, um, it is at the very least my position, and perhaps the position of the entire complete developer podcast staff of two, that whiteboards are a sign, you know, whiteboard problems are a sign that hiring is fundamentally broken. Um, in the sense that we don't have a good way of measuring developer skills. And so we come up with this weird arcane set of tests for them to pass that they have to do. Now, the other fun part about this is, is because the hiring process is broken. This is something that you can work to your advantage if you do it well.
0: Yeah. I don't, I wouldn't say broken.
1: I guess that's not a good way to put it.
0: I've, I've read a lot of why we shouldn't do whiteboard interviews And I agree with some of it. It's more of why you shouldn't do whiteboard interviews if you don't know what you're doing.
1: Yeah. Um, Because I'm reminded. I'll tell you what it reminds me of. You remember Winston Churchill's quote about democracy being the worst form of government except for all the others? That's what a whiteboard problem is. It's the worst way to evaluate a candidate's skills except for the other options that are available
0: talking about Winston Churchill, now I just really want to go smoke a cigar.
1: Yeah, it does. Because it just makes you want to do that. And I don't smoke cigars, but it does. I don't either.
0: I just want to, because we're talking about him. Yeah. But uh, getting us back on track here, whiteboard problems are something that you're going to see. I mean, whether they're good or not, whether they're useful or not, you're going to see them. And this is why you really need to practice. We discussed this earlier, but You've got to practice either through code katas or writing out your code on paper. Practice for those. One thing that we do with the group here in Nashville, the developer launchpad group, is once a month, we get together and we have a coding jam. Well, I bring an easel and a whiteboard so that Will and I can take anyone that's interested and give them a whiteboard challenge. Yep. And they can do that in a setting where they got... Two friends who are drinking beers and joking with them. And having fun being jerks,
1: but it's, but, it's play. But it's,
0: it's play, and it's not stressful, at least we hope
1: not. Yeah.
0: Um. I know a couple of the people that are looking for jobs have said to
1: us they really enjoy it. Well, and a couple of them actually want us to ramp up the stress.
0: Yeah, that's true. But like, what the whole point is to make it to normalize doing that so that it's not stressful. That leads right into the point we want to make is when you're at the board, you need to enunciate your thoughts.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's the bigger thing, right? Like, I mean, we can all talk about how broken the whiteboard interview system is. But at the end of the day, that is the system you're going through. So exploit it.
0: No whiteboard code compiles. Yeah. The point is, and this is why I slightly disagree that, it's completely broken. Yeah. It's, I, it's it's broken if you don't use it right, because the point of it is to
1: not show that you can code, but to show how you work through a problem. And I would agree with that. It's I, I guess the thing is, it's like the easily discerned goal of it is not the goal.
0: Yeah. Well, what what seems to be the goal is not the goal. It's not... Right. It, it's not It's a about, trick question, yeah, almost. It's not about... Can you solve this problem? It's about how do you solve this problem? Or how do you respond when I tell you that's not the right solution or I tell you you need to fix that? I cannot emphasize enough how important doing code katas is, guys. Even if you're a senior developer, you need to do them. It's that important. Yeah. That yeah. pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for tricks of the trade?
1: I want to talk about a a different way to look at certain things. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that I think uh, whiteboard problems are uh, kind of a sign of a broken interview process, and what I mean by that is not necessarily that they don't work, but that it feels extremely suboptimal um, for getting the results that we want to get out of it. It's just it's it's less horrible than the other options. And I want to encourage you to shift your thinking from, hey, this process is broken. How do we fix it? More along the lines to how can I exploit the broken process? Because that's really how broken processes get ended. When I was coming up, and and this dates me like you'll be able to see the gray in my beard and the fact that I'm saying this, the way that your resume was done was based really heavily on keywords. Like they got really, um, they got really fired up about keywords and that's how you got past all the, the HR screens. And so you would see people basically keyword stuffing their resume so that it would get through the screening process. I think that's a legitimate strategy. When, when the system is broken and you have to get through the system to eat, you use the broken system. Um, you use it to your advantage. You've been, you know, you you don't, you don't lie, but you accept the rules of the system as it is. And you utilize those rules to get where you need to go as opposed to complaining about how the system works. Because the, the broken uh, way of looking at resumes that was out, you know, like 2004, 2005 and up to really when the bubble burst in 2008, it was very focused on keywords in your resume. The only reason that that stopped being as big of a thing as it was is because everybody exploited it and they had to come up with something else. You might as well exploit a broken system because it's going to be there regardless of you. Like it's way bigger than you. Just deal with it. Figure out how to exploit it and move on with life. That's all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment for us, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By For Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed under Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up to our email list, be sure and check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with the news about the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time.